how are you guys all doing? Pretty, pretty all right? Nice day today? Weather's good? Do you guys want to chit-chat about the, about the weather a little bit before... No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, that, winter, that windstorm wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, though. See, I guess I, I'm desensitized now, because last year was so bad that this one didn't seem too bad at all. Just, I know, I know, but it, it, I brought the jinx to Bursey Town. <laughs> I also, I, I want to, uh, to point out that Ryder and I are wearing almost the exact same shirt. I got, I got taste. I, it's been, uh, he, he's showing me that I, I have some okay taste. All the cool kids are wearing plaid. What's that? And I, this, it's not a sippy cup. <laughs> James, it's a sippy cup. All right. Moving on. Wheeler. So that video was interesting, though, I think, uh, for a lot of us in, in many ways. Uh, as, you, as you're watching it, some of you may have been wondering why we were showing it. Other, others might be glad to have the update, to know what's going on, and others might be thinking something still altogether. Uh, moreover, though, that video might spur some of us into action. As we hear that, we might get excited. Others of us may not do anything, and there's many reasons to explain either doing something or not, but without a doubt, the biggest one, the biggest indicator will be whether or not we think it's important, whether or not we think what they're talking about was important. How we view the importance of the value of something is often going to predict our behavior. Uh, we always, uh, but do we always value things properly? I think is a, is a good question that we want to ask. Take a, a gentleman by the name of Nigel Reynolds. He was the first journalist to ever interview J.K. Rowling. Who's J.K. Rowling? Writer of Harry Potter, writer of Star Wars, yeah. Right, the writer of Harry Potter. And so this Nigel Reynolds, he received a first edition copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone as a thank you. He was the very first person to ever interview her. So he got a first copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone as a thank you. But in spite of the little bit of growing hype at the time, he thought it was just going to be a flop. So he threw it in the garbage that copy would be worth over $100,000 now if he had kept it. So, so how is his valuation tool at that point? How is it, how is it working? His, I guess it would be also his prognostication tool. Also not working really well. So now I, I could stand here and name many things that human beings throughout history have gotten wrong as far as valuing taken for granted or undervalued and then been surprised about. But I imagine that you, you get the picture, that we, we may not always do that. The important thing that we need to note is that we're all capable, every one of us is capable of undervaluing things. Otherwise, if, say, you are perfect at valuing things, I'm sure you'd probably be making a lot more money than, than you currently are. We, we need to doubt, I think, as people, that we are looking at things as being as important as they are. We need, we need to wonder about that sometimes. Speaking of doubt, uh, we're continuing in our series on doubt. If one were to go back and forth 
or go back and look through all the topics that we've touched on so far, they all have tonight's question that we're going to be dealing with tied to them. And tonight we want to answer the question, is church even important? Is church even important? Now, this is an interesting question because there's a number of ways that we could look at this. It's not as obvious as, as one might think. First, is this talking about church services or is this talking about church in general, right? The, the people, the community, is that what we're talking about? Also, who's asking the question or why are they asking it? You may have heard someone say, uh, especially this comes up often around election times, that they think churches shouldn't receive tax relief from the government. They think that that, that tax-free status should get pulled from the church because, I mean, let's face it, often uh, many people, if not most of the people, depending on the community, don't actually attend the church. So they say, well, there's so many of us don't go, so why should they get tax-free status? And honestly, I get that point. I, I used to try to make that point when I wasn't a Christian. So I'm, uh, just so we're not thinking about that, I'm going to address that one straight away uh, and just kind of put it off to the side. And it actually has to do a lot with what we learned last week. If you weren't here last week, we talked about uh, the question was, don't all of the atrocities in history disprove Christianity? So, you know, someone's like, Christianity is true. And someone goes, the Crusades, as if that, that just proves that Christianity can't be true. Because the church is supposed to be, at least, a nonprofit organization that often does way more for a community that people realize. Remember, we talked about planes taking off and landing every day, and no one ever talks about the ones that, that land and take off without a problem. But everyone wants to talk about the one that crashes. And so if, if someone in the church makes a mistake, a horrific mistake, does something reprehensible, people want to paint across the board, this is what Christianity is like. And they forget all about the hospitals, the schools, the, the homeless being fed. All of the many, many myriad of things that the church does to help out people. So it would be kind of like saying, hey, we need to tax the Red Cross or something like that. People don't get how much the church actually does. So that would be how I would answer that question. So we're not going to go there. As far as the other questions as to whether or not we're talking about church services or big C church in general, as one is not the other, but the importance to people of one can be shown by the other. So in other words, often your view of the church will be directly tied to how often you attend, how often you come into contact with other believers. That will, that, that's not the barometer, but it's a barometer of showing how much you care about the church. So before we dive into the passage, though, I want to give us some context that's going to help us. Because tonight we're going to be looking at, well, kind of two verses. I'm going to read two verses, but we're mostly looking at one verse tonight. And I, we need some context that's going to help us answer this question. Because in many ways, it depends on the response of Jesus' call to his church. So we're looking at, at these verses in 1 Timothy tonight. And again, I'm reading from the NLT version. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, but we're mostly going to be camping out in verse 15. So this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was nearing way at the end of his life, and he's writing to his beloved Timothy, who was leading a church community in a city called Ephesus. He wrote to instruct him on how to lead the church there. Timmy was, Timmy, I was going to say Timmy was it, oh, Timothy was his mentee, Timmy, man. This is acceptable in Berseytown, isn't it? All right, let's go. 
So Ephesus, for those of you who don't know, is a very wealthy and highly influential port city in the Roman city uh, or the Roman province of Asia. It was renowned for its temple of Artemis or Diana, depending if you're Greek or if you're a Roman. It was famous for things like temple prostitution and the worship of idols or false gods, which is saying a lot considering the context of, of the greater Roman Empire. If this place was particularly famous for that, doing something that everybody did, this just goes to show how big of a deal it was. False teachers, they were commonplace. This led people to living out their lives contrary to the gospel of Jesus. There was greed and arrogance leading to the dismissal of the truth. And because of that, the community, the church community itself, was having effectiveness problems. They, they, they weren't getting out there as much as they could. So the letter's theme then is that the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ leads to practical, visible change in believers' lives. That's, that's the bottom line. The true gospel, in contrast to the false teaching that was coming in, must and always will lead to godliness. There's no, there's no two destinations for that road. If, if someone is following and paying attention to the gospel and it is saturating their life, it will and always will lead to godliness. So this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to show in his life and to encourage in the lives of the others, these people that are in the community with him. So we're going to dive in. So uh, he starts off verse 14 here. He says, Paul to Timothy, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves. So Paul essentially here is just giving Timothy some advanced instructions on a code of conduct. And we're going to get to that a little bit in a second. But for some of us, this sounds kind of bizarre, right? It sounds extreme. I'm writing you a letter on how you must behave. A lot of people don't like being told what to how to behave or what to do. We actually have some friends in Ontario, uh, good friends of ours, Sarah and I, and he won a, an opportunity. Is anyone here a golfer? Anyone here like golfing? Got a, got a couple of golfers here. So anyway, this guy, was, he got in a tournament. It was called the, the Duke of Edinburgh tournament. So that, if anybody doesn't know, it's a Prince Philip. It's the Duke of Edinburgh. And the, all the Commonwealth countries, or at least 10, I don't know, I didn't fact check that, but... There's 10 of them anyway, and he got to, they did a tournament in each of these, and if you won this tournament, then you got to go to Great Britain, and you got to go play in the Duke of Edinburgh tournament, representing your whole country, and a friend of ours won that tournament, and so he got to go and, and play in this golf tournament and, and do all this fun stuff. He was pretty excited. He, he's an avid golfer. He was, he was pumped up. She, his wife was pretty pumped up, pretty excited that she got to go to you, but there was some nervousness in that as well. Why nervous? Well, because ahead of the tournament, they were sent info regarding the, the week's events and a list of protocols to be aware of. So in other words, they're instructed on how they must conduct themselves, especially if they'd be attending dinner in the undercroft of Windsor Castle with Prince Philip himself. So what were these protocols? Well, they included ladies having their shoulders covered in the prince's presence and men having to wear their tucks. They also weren't allowed to bring cameras, and this was pre-cell phones with cameras. They couldn't do that. They couldn't bring them to the dinner because there was a royal photographer to the queen present to take all the pictures. They were also searched upon arrival, all of which they understood was necessary. And I, I want to share one quote that, that she shared with me about it because I, it was so fun. And, and you need to 
picture her. She's this, this lovely, lovely woman and so fun. And so she uh, writes, when we arrived, the men were taught how to bow when they met the prince and the ladies were taught to, to curtsy. So, so far, so good. They had some of those uh, pleasantries out of the way. But they were also taught upon meeting the prince that, and she put these in all caps, they needed to, when they met the prince, did not address him first. Big no-no, evidently. You can't talk to him first. You have to wait until he spoke to us. And then we responded by addressing him with one of his royal titles. And every time after that, we could refer to him with a different title, each of them different and several words long. She says, I got the curtsy right, but was so nervous and excited that I completely blew the titles. So this, th- these sorts of things actually happen more often in real life than, than for the rest of us. Then we realize, you know, don't run by the pool. Don't, don't pee in the pool. Cover your mouth when you cough. Don't double or don't pass on a double line. Uh, Take off your shoes when you enter the house. But sometimes, we're talking about this uh, before too, sometimes people like to flip things, right? And other people are like, no, no, no. You keep your shoes on in the house, in in this house. In our household, you keep your shoes on. Others, you keep them off. But Paul's point here is very, very simple, that whatever he's about to talk about is really, really important. So what's he talking about? He says that he wants them to be able to conduct themselves well in the household of God. In the household of God. Now, sounds, sounds pretty important to me. So maybe you notice that many of the rules that we follow, that I was talking about, they help, uh, if we follow them as a society, it surrounds us being able to maintain relationships well. So if we don't follow a lot of these things, it tends to break things down. So what Paul is saying, and what he's saying, what I've been telling you so far in this letter, so up until this point, he's, he's been talking quite a bit. So up until this point, what I've been saying to you is key to understanding how to maintain, with, maintain relationship with God, essentially how to act in his household. Now, this has ramifications, of course, for both church services and the church, Big C Church in general. Because he, so far, if we were to go back and read, we're not going to read the entire letter so far, but I encourage you to. But if you go back, he's talked about, uh, discussed worship as we gather, worship practices in the gathered community. He's talked about leadership in the community, talked about elders and, and that sort of thing. And he's also talked about watching out for wolves, trying to pass them off as sheep because false teaching, especially in this context, but We just look at the world around us. There's constantly people trying to take what Jesus has said and either try to twist it or push back against it altogether. So, although this has in mind what happens here right now in this building as I speak, the primary message is to the people who call themselves followers of Jesus. They're brothers and sisters in Christ and God is their father. God is our father. And Jesus' father's house, it has many rooms and, and all of that. And they are, we are, members of God's household, part of God's family. He is the provider and the protector, and he's got some house rules for his kids. These rules, though, these aren't to earn his love. He gives that for free. These are meant for his kids to flourish 
both in their own lives and especially in the lives of others around them. The impact that they can have. Can I have a a get off my lawn moment just for a sec? Will you guys indulge me for a second? (laughs) The other other day I was out and and I stopped for a snack the, the lovely, I'm sure normally lovely person behind the counter, uh, I ordered. And it was like having to fulfill the order that I, I gave this person who was at work and whose whole job was to fulfill my order. Was, it was like I was trying to suck out their soul and crush it underneath my foot. Like it was, I, I actually started to feel bad like guilty for, for making an order because it just, it, there was pain on their face as they had to, push the buttons and then turn around and, 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 and all of this. It was brutal. Like, I, I was sitting there, I'm like, this, am I like on camera or something like that? Like, well, I probably was, but not for those reasons. But at any rate, they, this person, I, I guarantee, like, could have probably was just having a really bad day, but let's just pretend that's not the case. Let's just pretend that's just how they are. I, I would say that this person's parents or, or whomever raised them, did them a disservice because it's going to be a really, really long and hard lesson for them, this thing called life. If they think that this is the kind of attitude or this is the way that we, it's okay to treat people in this sort of context or in any kind of context. There's, there's rules of engagement in the service industry as there are in God's household or, or any household. They're not, they're not just there for kicks. They're, God didn't come up with these just for fun. And why is that? It's because this is the church of the living God. This is the church of the living God, Paul writes. See, Ephesus would have been quite a place to live. I actually, I had the opportunity to visit there a couple of years back. Uh, we were on a, a mission trip, and then at the end, we, we stopped by and and checked out the seven churches of, of Revelation. And, it, and it, it was quite the place then in Paul's time, and, it, and it's still quite the place now. Much of it is still intact. But the idea of worshiping things that for all intents and purposes are dead, right, pieces of metal or whatever, it, it would be really disappointing praying to something like that. But just as God showed his people from Egypt onward, these other gods, they got nothing on him. His power is real. His word is mighty. Why? It's because he's alive. It's because he lives. See, another interesting thing is Paul's transition from household. He uses the the word for house, but we're talking about the household of God to church. Changes words, and if anybody knows the, the, the Greek word for church, it's, it's ecclesia, ecclesia. You guys want to say that with me? It'll be your Greek word for tonight. Ecclesia. There we go. This means assembly, but, but if you break it down, if you, if you want to break down the parts that, that make it up, it, it basically means called out ones called out ones. And, and this fits in with what Jesus said when he said the day we must go. We must go and make disciples. We're, we're called out 
into that. So this is the church of the living God and the living God's church has assembled ones who are called to go to serve him and others. And it's also, Paul continues, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. See, this building imagery is stark that he's using. Just as we are the house of God, we are his dwelling place. We're also supposed to be what God's truth rests on. It's that foundation for. See, Ephesus was known for its spectacular architecture. If you were to go there, there's one building that had been a, a, like a library and the facade is, is still there. And it's spectacular. 2,000 years later, still standing. So they, they got a lot of things right as far as how to build a long-lasting structure. And Paul's saying that everyone there in Ephesus, they know how important a foundation is. If you're building, it's, it's key. The Romans knew how to build a foundation. And he's saying that must be the same thing for truth. God's truth must rest on something that strong. But it's not to be hoarded. It's not something that's just supposed to be taken and, and used just for personal gain. See, he uses the word pillar there. And if anybody's ever gone anywhere and seen any place with a pillar, a pillar is not something that you hide in the basement or the back room or anything like that. The pillar is there typically on the facade of the building. It's something that you show. It stands out. It has pride of place. See, we as the church, we hold out God's truth as we do the same with his goodness and with his beauty. So to summarize, Timothy and the church, they will be acting right if they remember that they are the actual home built and owned by God, where he dwells as the living one. And also remember that they are called on to undergird that, to provide the foundation for and hold up God's truth in word and in action. So my friends, the answer is, is yes. The church is important. But this is only the truth if the church treats the church as if it's important. Right? Paul's calling them to action. So they, they can just as easily, you, you think by this, say no. We're not going to treat the church as if it's important. Churches all the time, friends, say no. Which is why many people, talked about this a few weeks ago, think that Christianity is just a fairy tale. So I'm just going to pause real quick before I go into the next part and just ask, have I been unclear at all? Or does anybody have any clarifying questions? Not comments, but any questions regarding anything that I've said so far? Has anything been unclear as far as what I've said? We're all, we're all picking up what I'm putting down. Sweet. All right, part two. So the question then that we want to ask going into this part is, what will the impact be if the church treats the church as if it's important? Because that's the question. Like we can say, yeah, the church is important, but if no one does anything about it, then it kind of doesn't, doesn't matter, right? Church isn't going to just work on autopilot because we're the church. 
I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I, it's just, uh, it's kind of long, but it's so important. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. Just, it is, is, just as it is easy to think the state has a lot of different objects, military, political, economic, and whatnot. But in a way, things are much simpler than that. The state exists, I think this is in a conservative state, because the state exists simply to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire, a couple of friends having a game of darts in a pub, a man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That is what the state is for. And unless they are helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are simply a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. See, almost everybody on earth has access to a Bible. There's lots of people that don't, but, but the vast majority of people on earth have access to a Bible or a church building or some sort of gathering to a missionary or someone who calls themselves a Christian. But not everyone Sorry, not everyone, but the majority of people on earth. But far fewer have access to a community of people, a church that is firing on all cylinders and manifesting Jesus in a compelling way. This is and always will be our number one priority. The church's number one priority. See, one pastor, another one, puts it like this. There is nothing like the local church when it is working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Does Lake Arok believe that about us. The Roche, Le Camel, Scowlitz, Harrison Mills, Sahalis. If we were to ask them, does Central Community Church, Lake Era Campus, have that kind of impact on their life? If we were to ask them, are we important? Is this church important? Would they say yes? So one question I have is, is this possible? 
if we ever neglect meeting together or engaging our community. So I, I want to ask, ask y'all a question now. How can this church community be important? I'm going to get my whiteboard. We're going to do some brainstorming. How, and we don't need to come up with a solution, we just want to grease the wheels. How can this church community be important to the people who live in it? If we stop living out our faith in this community, what could people be missing? Let's dream a little. I didn't get the whiteboard and the pen out for nothing. In what ways, what do you think? As we think about what the church could be, I, I have comments, but I don't want to derail what you're asking. Okay. Yeah. But I just wonder about that question in relation to the people in this room right now. Yeah. So like start here and say, apply that question to the people around and then from there grow out to Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. No, I love that. That's great. Let's uh let's let's switch gears. Let's start with the people in this room. There's many people from the community in this room. There's many people well, every, most people in this room are Lake Arock Central Community Church. So how can we love one another? Jesus in John 13 says, you'll know each other, or they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another, right? No, that's an awesome point. Thank you. It's interesting. If you look at, I think if you look at throughout church history where the church has made the biggest impact, it's always looking at what are the needs of the community around you, and then what can we do to meet those needs, right? So when you're talking about these hospitals and these schools, like back when, you know, um, even Canada itself was being developed, those were really important things because they didn't exist, Yeah. right? Um, so now you, you kind of got to ask the question, what are the needs, like in our culture, and there's lots of different kind of maybe subcultures all over the place, but in general, what is the need kind of in our culture? And I think if you were to talk to like a lot of people, there's a lot of um, isolation um, a lot of loneliness, um, a lot of, like, people don't feel like they belong, right? And you've got to look at, you know, a lot of, um, you know, obviously there's some depression and anxiety and certain things that are very, like, they're chemical and it's a medical thing, you know, not, but how much of that is actually people feel so isolated that they become depressed because we were created for community. God is triune. He is community himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So how much were we created to be together? Just simply just to enjoy each other's company, kind of like C.S. Lewis was saying, right? So if you look at it as a church, how do we, how do we meet needs, right? And it really is. I mean, if you look at one of the qualifications to be an elder in the church, one of those qualifications is to be hospitable, right? So how, how often do we just involve people in the daily how often do we go out of our way, even though, like, you know, being a police officer, 
really I just want to like isolate myself from people because you just see the kind of ugliness of everything. But at the same time, you know, that I think God is calling us to actually do the opposite, to really engage, and that's my that's kind of my always personal struggle is to to really go out there and just to involve people in the natural rhythms of my daily life. Because if you always make it event based, you know, then it kind of almost has this like th those are important as well. Um, but I think the more that it has way more impact than it's just, hey, I'm just going to involve you in my daily rhythms of life and do life with you and enjoy your company, you can enjoy mine, you can, you know, build community together. And I think that's what really, that's what in our culture is just lacking right now. I think the wrong guy has the microphone. <laughs> so involvement in daily life over... Events which aren't bad. Anybody else have some thoughts? So what are some ways we show real care? How do we show real care in our community? So yeah, see a need, meet a need. You said figure it out, so like, ask. Get to know people. That says discern. It's uh, my penmanship is is lacking right now. I know what it says. So, if you need an interpreter later, I'm your guy. Any, who else? What are other some other some ah? What are some other ways that we can impact? Starting here, moving out. Yeah. Stability, right? Stability is so lacking in our culture nowadays. Like it seems like everything is just kind of flailing around. And so that's why people who come off strong, they may have ridiculous, say ridiculous things, but people get excited and want to follow that person because they're like, well, I may not agree with what he's saying or she's saying, but I sure like the way they're saying it. They're confident. So what happens when you, when you pair confidence with true truth? Amazing things. What else? Are you talking about the church or, or yeah, outside. outside? What do we do to get them incentivize them to want to take the first step towards the church? By, go, by not expecting them to come here, but by going to them. It, it could be a meal, it could be a barbecue, it could be whatever. Yeah. To involve them to come into the community. Yeah. We are a 
getting a snap, the world a snapshot of me by the way you love one another. Because God is invisible. He's not here. He was at one time. He's, he's not here. So if we want to show people, because God is love, the scripture says, so can't we, like that's not tangible for people because they can't see it, right? So when we care for and love one another, that's actually us tangibly giving a picture and showing people this is what God is like. When we take care of one another, we go out of our way to really actually care and take care of one another in this room. Then people from the outside, they see God's love and they think that they find that attractive and want to be part of that authentic community. And if it's not really authentic, I think people naturally want to belong to that because they are fighting isolation, loneliness, those types of things. Super powerful, right? People, they, they don't care about your soapbox, right? So many people have soapboxes, social media, it's just a big soapbox. People don't care what you have to say until they, they, you actually have some build some credibility with them and they know you and they have a relationship with you. Then when you talk, they listen, right? If it's just a soapbox, it's not really gonna do much. So. Exactly, and so with what Nate has just been saying, how important is the church? If we are the literally the manifestation, God's manifestation of, of physical being on earth. This is what the church is supposed to be. How important is that? How awesome is that? How terrifying is that? that, that, that and humbling is that, that, that God has decided to use like this broken vessel, right? To, to do this, to accomplish this. But as you can see, it's not like, it's not overwhelming. Like, this is doable. Right? And this is just, this is kind of just, we're, we're just spitballing right now. We're not even getting into specifics uh, with individuals. But we can take this and we can apply it, right? That's why Paul says in Hebrews 10, don't neglect to meet together. When we come to church, I think we've been sold a lie that when we come to church services on the weekend, it's so we can get fed. Right? That's what, am I going to get fed? And there's, that's kind of, you know what I mean? Like if you're going to church and you're not getting fed, then maybe there's a, there's a problem. Right? But at the same time, like, we're, we're supposed to go to feed others. We're supposed to go to encourage others. Like, I don't know how many times I've heard people say to other people, you singing that song like that has encouraged me so much. And not even the, the leader. But, like, these guys, you guys encourage me like crazy when you come and lead us in song. But I watch other people singing songs, and I'm like, man, that person really loves Jesus. And it makes me want to love Jesus even more. It is amazing to think about what we can accomplish just by showing up and, and giving it our all, right? Like it, something just as simple as that is a wonderful, wonderful way to build each other up so that when we do some of these things, we're, we're at our sharpest, right? We're working together. We're energized. I got to move on because I'm uh, taking our time, but I'm going to put this over here for us. And this is, this is like to be continued, right? We're going we're gonna to keep talking about this. But I just wanted us to be thinking about that 
we need to always be reminding ourselves how important this is. Thank you for humoring me. I, I appreciate that. That was awesome. You never know how that's going to go. So as we close this series on doubt, I, I, I hope that as we've gone through it, if you've been here, and, and if you haven't, there's, they're online. You can listen to all these. You can listen on the app to the, all of the ones here at Lake Arock, or you could just go on to the, the website, and you can look at the videos for, for all of them, too. I hope that we've addressed, if, if you have any doubts, and remember, it's okay. If you're a believer, you could be a believer for 50 years and, and have doubts, and, and that's okay, right? We need to wrestle with them. So I hope that we, we've addressed these doubts if you have them. I hope that we've strengthened your faith because of them. I hope we've encouraged you to encourage others in spite of them or to help explain them. Because friends, the church is more important than we could ever, ever realize. In many ways, we need to step out in faith to do what Jesus called his followers to do all those years ago. Uh, The book of Acts Uh, This is right before Jesus ascended. The text goes, So when the apostles were there with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So don't worry about it. But this is what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me Everywhere, Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, even in Lake Arak, to the ends of the earth. Amen? And one more reason to celebrate the importance of, of the church is, is due to what we are about to do now. We have been given this, given leadership over a, a sacred, sacred ceremony. Something beautiful that Mary's symbol and reality, and it exemplifies the meaning of heaven and earth for us now. And Jesus inaugurated it at something called the Last Supper, when he gathered with his friends, and he said to them, this cup I give to you, this is my blood. Partake of it always in remembrance of me. And he took bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body. Broken. Sorry, not broken. I'm, I'm adding something there. It's not supposed to be there. This is my body. Take this. And partake in it in remembrance of me. 2,000 years ago. But we get to celebrate this now. Celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus who makes all of this possible. The coming of the Holy Spirit was possible because of that sacrifice. And now we as the church get to take that and run with it in power. Let me pray for us. Before we do, if, if you're new here, we uh, just come up as, as Nate's going to be singing and you can just take a, a piece of bread and, and uh, dip it in and uh, just take it. We don't uh, wait till I'll take it at the same time. You can just go up and take it as you, as you feel. Uh, Father, thank you again for your church. This is Man, what, a, what an awesome privilege it is to be able to say that you are our father, that we are in your household. 
And what a privilege it is to get to meet together all the time. Specifically, these, these large group meetings, but we do get to meet up during the week. And Lord, we do get to proclaim your truth wherever we go. True truth. And Lord, it's all because of your son. Your son who you sent to live that life perfectly, yet to die for us so that we don't have to die. So that we can live with you forever. Father, now as we take the bread and we we take the juice, we do this as an act of worship to you. Accept it as, as as a humble means of pointing to pointing to you, pointing to the sacrifice and our and our desperate need for you to accomplish the super, super cool things that you have for us. And they'll be hard, messy in relationship and community. But Father, we know that you're with us. You promised that to the end of the age. We're holding you to it because we need you. We pray in your name. Amen.